Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, gang. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, obviously, Michael Cutler. It is October the 20th, 2017. And as always, looking very much forward to getting together with you at the end of the week um, to take a hard, discerning, objective look at the madness of the preceding week. And there's never any disappointments here, never a shortage of issues that we desperately need to discuss but discuss these issues in a way that the mainstream media refuses to discuss if they're willing to discuss these issues at all. So again, I thank you for joining me. If you're familiar with me, familiar with the program, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the so-called INS. Did that job for about 30 years. Today, all of those components of what used to be the Immigration Service were sliced, diced, and fold it into the bureaucratic leviathan known as the Department of Homeland Security, an agency that, in my judgment, and in the judgment of others, including Republicans in Washington at the time, um, created by President George W. Bush in a way that made border security and effective immigration law enforcement virtually impossible. So when you hear Mr. Bush now criticize the president because he is a populist, unlike Mr. Bush and his clan who were um, globalists, just, you know, know where the message is coming from. The late and very effective criminal defense attorney, Johnny Cochran, famously remarked at the OJ trial, if you can't trust the message, the messenger, rather, you can't trust the message. So that's not to say that there weren't things that President George Herbert Walker Bush did or that George W. Bush did that I disagreed with. But always understand that you have to look at their statements and their actions through that prism of globalism. Globalism at a time when people around the world have had it with globalism. The loss of sovereignty, the lack of secure borders ignoring the difference between being a citizen or being an alien in a country. You know, there's a credit card company that used to have as a slogan, membership has its rewards. Well, I would submit to you folks that citizenship damn well ought to have its rewards as well, but you would never know it if you went to sanctuary cities and now, God help us, sanctuary states, madness foisted on us by globalists who don't care about death, destruction, mayhem of American people as long as they and their friends can walk away with a huge paycheck. This is blood money. It's corruption. Make no bones about it. This is about the destruction of our borders and all that it implies, smuggling of vast quantities of narcotics, smuggling of foreign workers and criminals and terrorists into the United States, destroying wage structure, not only in the United States, but around the world, uh, creating third world expectations in non-third world countries for wages and working conditions. 
And this is not a statement of xenophobia. This is a statement of reality. I have no problem with aliens coming to the United States legally to abide by their terms of their admission. You know, I spent the first four years of my 30-year career with the old INS as an immigration inspector assigned to Kennedy International Airport right here in New York City. And I can assure you that it was only a relatively minuscule percentage of foreign visitors who I or my colleagues kept out of the United States for reasons not based on race, religion, or ethnicity. If that was the case, I couldn't have done that job for 30 minutes, let alone 30 years, but because they either were criminals involved with subversive activities uh, or would likely take the jobs that Americans desperately need. Those laws are completely and utterly blind as to race, religion, ethnicity, but you would never know it if you listen to the lies being foisted on the American people, on news programs, on um, speeches made by the politicians, and even the way that polls are conducted by these pollsters. Uh, and they, they, they stick the word scientific in front of it as a way of intimidating people. We conducted a scientific poll. What does it mean? They were holding a test tube while they were asking people ridiculous questions. Uh, look, we have to get real about immigration. And we've got to deal with the truth and not with the fantasies. And this is not a left-right issue. I am a lifelong registered Democrat. I'm a labor guy. My dad, who is a tradesman, a construction worker, and his buddies in the construction trades will always be among my biggest heroes. For those hardworking men, uh, there was no such thing as a job that was too dangerous, too dirty, too difficult, too hot, too cold. They weren't the butterflies that the universities are now cranking out um, on a mass production line. My dad went to work when he was dying of cancer, and I literally carried him off his job his last day at work. Hard for me to believe it, but more than 50 years ago when I was 19. And my father uh, set the standards, as did the people of his generation, the greatest generation. I hope that history does not remember this current generation as America's last generation. Get into some of the details, and I want to remind you about websites where you can find my articles. And I have two articles, in fact, that are coming out on the same topic. First of all, it's Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I've become a columnist uh, for them, and I'm very proud of it. I write frequently front page mag and i have a new article coming out that is based on a 60 minutes report that aired last sunday uh, the title of the report ex-dea agent opioid crisis fueled by drug industry in congress i'll have a little bit to say about it this evening lots more to say about it after it is published and it will also be published i've been told over by capsweb.org californians for population stabilization and uh, eye-opening report. And although I spent 30 years with the Immigration and Naturalization Service, if you're familiar with me and my background, you know that half of my career was spent um, as one of the folks who was assigned to the so-called War on Drugs. In 1988, I became the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA in New York City, the Drug Enforcement Administration. Um, so I worked cooperatively with the uh, uh, law enforcement officers and intelligence officers from uh, just about every federal agency you could imagine, literally. I also worked very closely with state, city police, foreign governments, 
and then was promoted to senior special agent that assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, where, again, uh, we were focused on large-scale narcotics trafficking organizations. And let's be clear that generally organizations that smuggle drugs into the United States by their very nature employ foreign nationals, and not just from Latin America. We do have a very, very, very big problem with the Mexican border, but drugs pour into this country through every international airport, through every international seaport. If anybody wants to see a great cop movie and a a truth-based story, think of the French connection with the heroin that was hidden in the rocker panels of that Lincoln Continental, uh, and that boat was brought here uh, on, on a ship. So consider this. The Mexican border is a huge problem. Our international airports and seaports are a huge problem. 95,000 miles of coastline provide ample opportunity, as does the Mexican border, for ships to come ashore without detection, uh, even in spite of the valiant efforts of the U.S. Coast Guard. They're overwhelmed by the size of the borders and the size of the mission that they uh, have to um, accomplish for our national security. And we cannot leave out the Canadian border as well. Mexican border most dangerous uh, because of the nature of the corruption and violence in Mexico. But let's remember this country, not unlike a a sieve, has lots of holes. In fact, I wrote an article a while back for Front Page Magazine. I referred to the, uh, my title for the article was uh, Border Security and the Immigration Colander. You know, that device that you use to drain pasta. Uh, lots of holes. And at the time, Congress was trying to convince us that all that needed to be done was to secure the Mexican border. So in essence, I said they were offering to partially plug one hole in the bottom of a colander and then try to commit to convince, commit as well, they should be committed to something, tried to convince the American people that they had converted that colander into a bucket. So we need to understand the scope of the problem and how multifaceted it is. And and that's why, frankly, when I see people with no experience except some wild idea that they hatched overnight tell you what we need to do to fix the problem, uh, I would laugh at their efforts, but I can't laugh because it's misinforming the American people. And wrong advice can be worse than no advice. Um, So, you know, that's why I do this program not because I'm going to claim I have all the answers about every topic in the world, but because as an immigration agent, as an immigration inspector, as an immigration adjudications officer, a job I held for a year, uh, I have had the opportunity to see this uh, monster up close and in person, this immigration crisis. Um, Think of the blind men groping the elephant. You know, the guy that has a firm grip on the elephant's trunk, thinks he knows what the beast is and the guy holding the tail at the other end of the animal, he thinks he knows what the beast is. And one of the guys has, you know, the ear and and so forth. Another one's trying to get his arms around the trunk and each one thinks that they know what the elephant looks like, but they don't. If you don't understand this issue from every facet, kind of like twisting the knob on a kaleidoscope, then you really don't understand the significance of the crisis and you don't understand what needs to be done to bring this crisis to a screeching halt and make no mistake. That can be done, but it's not being done because politicians have been bribed and bribed blatantly, which is the topic of the DEA report about lobbyists and members of Congress 
and the harm done to Americans to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dead people that the Congress could not care less about from both parties. This isn't a left-right issue. It's a right-wrong issue. And we're seeing the very same sort of nonsense with immigration. And we'll get to that. But first, I want you to think about this headline that was just published yesterday. Dreamer who claimed to be unlawfully deported to Mexico drops lawsuit against the feds. Now, that's a remarkable headline because just a few months earlier, this guy, and his name, by the way, uh, was Juan Manuel Montes Bojorquez, um, claimed that we had illegally deported him. Now, understand that this is nonsense. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Um, and he's from Mexico, by the way. Apparently, it was a fabrication. He claimed that he had been a DACA recipient, and the Border Patrol came along and deported him. And, and because he had forgotten his ID, so they summarily pushed him across the border. By the way, uh, under our laws, an alien is required at all times to carry proof of what is known as alien registration. And that requirement, by the way, was substantiated as a part of the Arizona lawsuit over SB 1070. Well, it wasn't Arizona. It was the Justice Department lawsuit against SB 1070, um, the fact that Aliens are required by law to carry proof of alien registration. And I was watching a conservative news program that I had been on a number of times. And when the Supreme Court said that, you know, they have to carry proof, one of the hosts of the show was goose stepping across the stage, impersonating a Nazi um, as an American, as a Jewish American whose family was decimated by the Holocaust. And, And I've heard this comparison all too many damn times comparing immigration agents with the SS. If you want to talk about infuriated, I can't begin to tell you what it does to my blood pressure. And with a heavy make-believe German accent, he said, where is your papers as he goose-stepped across the stage for the cameras? And he said that because of the Supreme Court ruling, now aliens will have to carry their papers with them at all times. Well, besides doing a lousy German impersonation, and besides insulting every immigration agent and every Border Patrol agent in the country, he got it wrong. The requirement for aliens to carry proof of alien registration at all times was enacted as a part of the Immigration Alien Registration Act. And guess when that law passed? 1940, well over a half century ago. But we had this goose strutting alleged journalist, talk show host, whatever you want to call him, Um, ridiculing, embarrassing, insulting immigration agents by saying basically that the immigration agents had now become stormtroopers demanding to see papers. If you wonder why the mainstream media no longer has former immigration agents on to discuss immigration, the same way that they have retired generals and commandos and detectives to discuss homicides and FBI agents to discuss profiling, but you'll never see an immigration agent on because there's a carefully crafted, insulting, dehumanizing message about immigration agents that we're the evil ones. Those of us sworn to protect America from foreign nationals who have no right to be in the country and whose presence would be problematic, possibly deadly to our country, to national security, they don't want to hear from us. 
Because if we came on the program and told the truth, the American people would take a very different view. This is about creating a fantasy and reinforcing that fantasy at every opportunity. This was the way that the Nazis, speaking of Nazis, conducted themselves during the Second World War. Goebbels, working for Hitler and Hitler himself, invoked this principle of the big lie. You lie through your teeth, and at every opportunity, multiple times a day, you stand in front of TV cameras, or for the Nazis, it was the microphones of radio stations and news reporters and so forth, and lie and lie and lie and keep telling the lies. And the bigger the lie, the more frequently you tell it, the more believable it becomes, because people are just that stupid. People don't know how to question what they're being told. And so you have a major news program with this guy strutting across the stage saying, well, now aliens are going to have to carry proof of alien registration. How terrible is that? Is this even still America? Well, that law was enacted in 1940 because the storm clouds of the Second World War were gathering on the horizon. And our leaders, the greatest generation, not the collection of buffoons that we have today, understood the nexus between border security, immigration, and threats to national security and the lives of Americans. We finally have a president who understands that, and a brilliant attorney general by the name of Jeff Sessions who understands that. And look at the ridicule that they are facing from both political parties, because both political parties have been bought and paid for by very wealthy people who are truly getting the best government money can buy from their own narrow-minded, evil, selfish, greedy. If I sound angry, I am. Who couldn't be? The late great radio talk show host Terry Anderson used to roar into the microphone, whether on his show or in a live audience situation. I had the privilege of being on his show. I had the privilege of sharing the stage with Terry. I miss him terribly, but he used to roar into the microphone. If you ain't paying attention, if you ain't mad, you ain't paying attention. Well, I've been paying attention and I'm infuriated. Now you have this guy who claims that he came here as a nine-year-old, suffered cognitive disabilities, and, and then became enrolled in DACA. Now, this is how the news media portrays it. What they're leaving out is he claimed he came here as nine. You see, the problem we have with DACA is that, and again, most people have no idea. When I speak in public events, and by the way, if any of you know of opportunities um, for public speaking, opportunities, engagements, whatever you want to call it, let me know. I just got back from a whole bunch of them, um, had a marvelous time, thanks to a gentleman by the name of Tom Goodfellow at Great Lakes, Colorado, um, did a wonderful job putting together Constitution Week. Um, they honored me. I was the keynote speaker, and I talked about it last time, sat in the back of, of my friend Bob's Corvette, my new friend who drove me through the parade, um, but the whole point was to celebrate the Constitution, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is going the way of the dodo bird if you look at safe spaces on college campuses. And, and, and that's why I worry about the censorship by the media. I worry about the lies that now are being taken as truth by too many dumb Americans that aren't paying attention. So what we're told, and if you listen to Mr. Obama, and when I do speaking events, people frequently still don't know the answer to the question. The question is, what was the age cutoff for these so-called dreamers? And what are we frequently told? Oh, they had to be children, didn't they? And they asked me kind of uncertain. Well, didn't they have to come in as kids or something? I said, yeah, but how old could they be and file an application? 
well, gee, I, I guess they're, they're still in school. I said, well, maybe if that was done, there'd be little resistance to the idea. But that's not the case. Because on the day that President Obama stood in the Rose Garden back in 2012, and he referred to them as kids, children, young people, used all those adjectives to paint a misleading picture, the big lie, they had until their 32nd birthday to file an application. How in the world does a 31-year-old prove when he or she came here if they ran the border and therefore no record of entry was created? Now, the law also, or his executive order, it's not a law, but they've been treating it as a law. The courts have been treating it up until recently. Now, of course, the courts are ruling that this whole thing was illegal. But at the time, some of the courts were saying, well, you know, this is the way it is, and we have to abide by it. And now that President Trump is saying, okay, we'll give you six months, but we're going to end it, He's being treated as though he's evil. By the way, the term deferred action doesn't mean permanent residence, because even with all of his lies and fraud, Obama knew that he couldn't do that. So he called it a deferred action. Now, what most people don't know, by the way, is there is such a thing as deferred action under immigration regulation, but it's supposed to be used judiciously. And I've explained it before, but let me explain it to you again real quickly so that everyone understands. See, I, I don't change the law or my words or whatever to, to, you know, bend this way and that way to confront people that lie about our immigration laws. For me, facts are facts, and they're always the same because facts don't change. There's only one version of the truth. There is something known as deferred action, and it's designed to be humanitarian. If, let's say, a family comes to the United States and they, they want to go visit family or whatever – and, and, and one of them falls ill. Someone gets hit by a car. They're in terrible shape. They're in the hospital. It would be outrageous to tell the family, hey, folks, your visa expires tomorrow. Pack up everybody and get on that airplane, including the person in a coma, because you're not supposed to be here past tomorrow. That would be crazy. By the way, there's no shortage of countries that would do it. Think of North Korea and some others. Uh, look what they did to that young man, the way they tortured that poor young boy. Uh, there's some truly evil governments out there. But what we do is we'll say to the family, and as long as it can be verified, and I used to do these investigations as an agent. I got to see all of this up front and in person. It was part of my job. You might well go to visit the doctor who's leading the care of that person who was injured, whether the person was an American citizen and it was the citizen's family from overseas visiting or if it was one of the people who were visiting who was stricken that way, we would interview the doctor, and the doctor would say, yes, the child hit his head, he's in a coma, fine. How long? What's the prognosis? I'd put that into a report. The doctor might give us a letter on his letterhead, put it into the file, and we would defer the action of requiring that tourist family, the family here for temporary visit, to go home. And we would keep extending it as required, if the person was still sick, if they still needed to be here. And we might have even given them employment authorization on a case-by-case basis because most people, let's face it, can't be on vacation for eight months without an income. And let's say the boy's father, the boy is injured, a girl is injured, and the parents say, look, we don't want to leave the United States. Our child is in the hospital. So we might well give them permission so they could work to support themselves and still be here with their child. We're not going to send them home and tell them we'll send you the kid if and when he recovers. It doesn't work that way. So 
Obama took a humanitarian, decent, moral program and twisted it for a political purpose. It seems to be the story of Washington and City Hall and state capitals across America these days, doesn't it? Take something decent and turn it into a sewer because of corruption by our supposed representatives and leaders. So that's the kind of deferred action that he took and turned it into Frankenstein and lied through his teeth. And to this day, there are people that believe that this was about children. The children, so-called, could be as old as 36 years of age right now. And among them are people who have been wanted for crimes. And one of the requirements was that these aliens could not leave the country. If you leave the country, don't let the door hit you on the backside on the way out, because you will not have permission to return to the United States. You don't have a green card by the grace of a lousy decision by a president who did something he never should have done. We've given you permission to remain here. Fine. Don't go home. You go home. It's done. How are we going to know? A while back, if you recall, there was a terrible story about a truck that was loaded with illegal aliens, some of whom died. This happened in, El pa- I believe it was El Paso, Texas. The sweltering heat and so forth. And they're now charging the driver with alien smuggling and harboring and the manslaughter and a whole bunch of other crimes. Well, one of the people who died was a young man who had been ordered deported from the United States. He was a DACA recipient, deferred action but he was affiliated with gangs. And so a judge found that he had violated the terms of DACA. They deported him. He was being smuggled back into the United States and would have gotten away with it, except he died in the truck. But the headline in some of the news said, DACA kid or DACA recipient died in the tragedy. He had been stripped of DACA. By the way, DACA refers to dreamers, show you some more hypocrisy. We've been told that the word alien, oh my God, don't say that word, it's worse than the N-word. No, it's not. The word alien simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. But that's okay. Don't let the truth get in the way. Don't let the truth get in the way of this false narrative. So the word alien has been stricken, Associated Press style book. If you write the word alien, they'll prob- it'll probably automatically, quote unquote, correct your mistake and put in some word like undocumented or maybe if they use the language I did when I was first given that order by Jimmy Carter, by that administration, I came to call such aliens pre-citizens. Maybe that's what they would do. But the A in dreamer is alien, alien minors. So how can this God awful word alien be so terrible and yet suddenly become so acceptable when it gets linked to the narrative of the American dream for illegal aliens? How dare you use the word alien? In fact, there was an article with, where um, one of the officials of the Trump administration used the term illegal alien, and, and this newspaper had a hissy fit. How could he use the word alien? You know, That was part of their complaints against the president. It simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States, and they need to look at the fact that they keep using the term dreamer, which is an acronym that includes the word alien. This is the level of hypocrisy and lies and nonsense that have been foisted on us. But here's what's interesting, and this is what concerns me, and I'll be writing about this guy. When he agreed, his lawyers agreed that what he said wasn't true, and I wish they would prosecute him for filing a false claim and for lying in his application, because it's apparent now that what he claimed about what the Border Patrol did and what happened never really happened. 
but it seems to me that this might have been a ploy to get their hands on the ICE playbook, on the DHS playbook, because what they said is that um, I'm looking for the exact statement. But what was really interesting was that during this discovery process, information was exchanged between the lawyers for the government and the lawyers representing this illegal alien. So what's really remarkable is is that um, they were exchanging information. Now, the information that I believe that might have been exchanged might go back to the way that ICE does its job. Because let's face it, whether it's the ACLU, the defense attorneys, they are always trying to figure out what the playbook is for law enforcement. And during the discovery process, they likely got their hands on information about how immigration does its job. And we don't have the secret police, and I don't ever want that to be an issue. But it's the gamesmanship that is being played. Because at the end of the day, if you can't keep criminals and terrorists out of your country, you can't protect your country or your citizens. That's what those laws are about. It's not unlike the homeowner who has a peephole, a doorbell, and a door lock so that you look through the peephole and you have the right to say, no, you can't come in. No, you don't have that right. We never, ever deprive an American citizen the ability to enter the United States under the immigration laws and under procedures. There are no circumstances whatsoever under which an American citizen can be denied entry into the United States. But aliens have no inherent right to be here. So please understand what this is all about. And again, this is about making a distinction between people who are aliens and people who are citizens. A distinction that the open borders anarchists, the governors of sanctuary cities, uh, the mayors of sanctuary cities, and the governors of sanctuary states, think of California, want you to forget about that important distinction. And then CBS just did a report. Then I want to get to the 60 Minutes report. And as I've said, I'll have what to probably say about it next week uh, when I expect that both capsweb.org and frontpagemag.com will be running my article. But, I, you know, we do need to talk a little bit about it. I want to give you food for thought. But CBS ran a report back, I think, in August. CBS News on assignment investigates how foreign workers exploit a visa loophole for U.S. jobs. It's not a loophole. And they call it a loophole, I think, with a very definite reason. What they were talking about is how a foreign auto manufacturer brought in lots of workers from their home country on tourist visas and what are known as B-1 visas, B-1, B-2. B-2 is a tourist, B-1 is a business visa. A business visa, a B-1 visa, does not entitle the alien to work. It entitles the alien, or at least to work for pay in the United States. So let me be clear about what work is. Let's say someone is an engineer who works for BMW and he comes to the United States to attend a meeting with engineers who are running their factories here in the United States. So he's a manager. He's helping them to figure out how to make the company operate. Uh, My oldest son is an engineer, travels frequently around the world because his company is a multinational company. So he may have to go to Asia. He may have to go to Europe. He's not working on the assembly line, putting products together. 
he's speaking with the people who are running the assembly lines to make certain that they're meeting certain standards. And, and that's acceptable by our laws as well. So if you're an engineer and you work for BMW, you work for Mercedes-Benz, um, you work for uh, Samsung, doesn't matter, you know, and, and products are being produced in the United States or they're being marketed or there's problems with the product, then they would come here on a B-1 visa, spend as many months as they need to to meet with people, interview the people in the factory, and make certain that the factory is, is working properly. What a B-1 visa is for. But their paycheck isn't because they're doing physical work in the United States. They're working for their home con- company back in their home country, and they're simply here as part of their responsibilities to make certain that their company manufactures whatever it manufactures the way it's supposed to be done. However, in this case, they were bringing people here on these B-1, B-2 visas, and they were working on the assembly line. They were screwing parts into the cars. They were spray painting the cars. They were basically doing assembly line work. That is not what a B-1 visa is for. And that is not a loophole. That is not a loophole. That is a violation of immigration status. That is no less a violation than overstaying a visa. You know, if you come on a tourist visa, let's say we give you six months. After six months, you need to leave unless you get permission to stay longer. But if you don't get permission, then when the date comes, you need to leave. If you're told you can't work here and you work here, that's a violation of your visa. That's not a loophole, you see. But the media doesn't want to say it's a violation of law. Because if you violate the law, then what you're doing is illegal. And we come back to the conundrum of, God forbid, you should say somebody's here illegally. When I was a new agent with the INS, and the world was very different then, and our politicians were different. I was never a big hero of politicians, but the stench wasn't nearly as bad as it is today. It was bad, but today the stench can kill you, literally. But we would go to a factory and see if the people working in the factory were here legally, illegally, if they were Americans, and so forth. And if I walked into a factory, and there was somebody working in that factory and had a visa as a tourist, and they were working in the factory, I would arrest them. We would put handcuffs on them, and they would find themselves possibly being held in our detention center and seeing an immigration judge for a deportation hearing. Today they call the process removal. By the way, they changed the word deportation to removal so that they can use it more liberally so they can inflate the statistics. Thank you, George W. Bush. As I said, Bush is a globalist. That's why his brother Jeb said that illegal immigration was an act of love. And I wrote an article where I told Jeb, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. (coughs) So anyway, therein lies the problem. This is a violation of law that in the old days could get you arrested. However, now the media doesn't want people to even give a thought that violating the terms of admission is a violation of law. So they call it a loophole. A loophole. That's like saying if I drive 100 miles an hour through a school zone and I'm drunk, that's a loophole. No, that's a violation of law. But they don't want to say that. Because if they admit that those people working here illegally are violating the law because they are illegal, then what do we call them? 
And, you know, CBS Radio in New York had no problem two years ago. I, I thought this was hilarious. I have a shower radio so I can find out what the traffic is like and so forth, the weather as I'm getting ready to go wherever it is I'm going that day. I almost fell over in the shower laughing because this was the day after Labor Day weekend had come and gone. So all the beaches were closed. And there was a little cutesy story about how all these kids jumped the fence at the beach, even though signs had been posted that said, lifeguards not on duty, come back next Memorial Day weekend, beach is closed, swimming is illegal. And they referred to the swimmers as illegal swimmers. This is the same network that would never refer to an illegal alien, but they had no problem calling these kids illegal swimmers hypocrisy 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 it seems to run rampant these days after that i don't even know how to describe the the tragedy at las vegas i i, I you know words fail me words fail me and as a, as a former law enforcement officer you don't have to be i mean you just an American, any decent human being looking at that story moves you to tears. I mean, what could you possibly say? But of course, immediately, this became a gun issue for Hillary Clinton and her folks. And I remind you again, I'm registered as a Democrat, but I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Uh, The Second Amendment protects Americans not only against criminals, but against tyranny. History repeats itself. Think about why dictatorships don't want armed citizens. Okay, need I say more? But Hollywood came out. And think of some of the statements that were said. Nancy Sinatra, I believe it was, had said, you know, members of the NRA should be, you know, subject to a firing squad. I mean, all the crazy things that were being said. You had that piece of trash lawyer working again for CBS. And what did she say? That the people who were killed didn't deserve sympathy because they were listening to West country Western music. And those are generally gun-toting repugs. Who radicalized her? We hear about radicalization by ISIS. Who radicalized that lawyer who certainly ought to know what's in the Constitution? I hope somewhere along the way she might have taken the time to read it, if not study it. The Second Amendment is the Second Amendment. But in her twisted hatred, she actually came out and said, oh, I don't have sympathy for those people. They're probably gun-toting Republicans, but she called them repugs, maybe repugnant. Okay? So... The same Hollywood that spews this nonsense cranks out movies and video games that are violent beyond anything you could ever imagine. Cars flying through the air, people blowing people up, people getting thrown through plate glass windows, people getting decapitated, guns blazing, carnage, bombs going off. And these so-called pacifists are the ones that star in the movies write the scripts, and produce them, as long as it's the fantasy, not the reality. Never mind that kids that come home from school and maybe they're latchkey kids, they don't, the parents are working, whatever, turn on a movie and there's blood galore and guns galore and bullets flying, and that becomes their role model. That becomes their norm. They see this on the screen. Well, Is there anyone there to say, hey, this isn't real? No. If Hollywood was really so concerned about gun violence, why are their movies literally so bloody violent? 
Why do they show people resolving conflicts by blowing each other away rather than sitting down and having a rational conversation? The hypocrisy blows my mind. Americans better not have guns. Uh Uh-uh, bad, evil. But when you go to the movies, what's the message? People resolve problems by shooting each other. It's stunning. Hypocrisy follows hypocrisy. And, and, And so this is where we are today, in a world infiltrated by the crazies who are running the show, and no one sees the hypocrisy. I find it remarkable. The journalists who scream about profiling by law enforcement have no problem talking about Latino voters. You mean Americans who are Latino have different values than other Americans because they're Latino? If that isn't the classic definition of racism, bigotry, and a disgusting form of profiling, I don't know what is. But we hear it all the time. This mythical Latino voter, the black voter, the Jewish voter. You've seen one, you've seen them all. If anybody dared say that, oh my God, there'd be riots. But that's what the message is behind that twisted notion of Latino voters. And we hear it all the time. We hear it from the pollsters. We hear it from the supposed journalists. And we're hearing it from the politicians. Hollywood is at war with the guns until they make a movie. And then the carnage is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So you have life imitating art, and they scream. But their art is permeated by violence on a scale that's hard to comprehend. And we need to call them out for it. You're seeing it now with the sex scandal and all this other nonsense hypocrisy. That's all that we keep seeing from these folks is hypocrisy. And we need to grow a spine and call them out. Because once you're able to do that, once you can show the guy behind the curtain is this little guy pulling the strings, it all evaporates. It needs to evaporate. Because now we get to the story that appeared on 60 Minutes last week. And, and here is the, the issue that I, I want you to think about, by the way. The fact of the matter is, let me just bring this up. It's difficult being a one-man band sometimes, I have to tell you. Okay. I will have it here for you momentarily. But what, what, what you need to understand in terms of um, what 60 Minutes did not talk about They did talk about how members of Congress voted for a change in law that was pushed by a a Republican congressman by the name of Tom Marino from Pennsylvania. And because of it, he withdrew from contention for a job, of all things, as the head of ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, Commonly, that title is known as the drug czar. So think about it. Had it not been for the 60 Minutes Washington Post article, Tom Marino might well have become the next drug czar. And it turned out that he had pushed a change in the law that made it all but impossible for DEA to stop the shipments of dangerous quantities of opiates when it was clear that it was creating a danger to the communities. And they cite instances where where millions of pills were going to communities that had a couple thousand citizens. I mean, it was obvious that something was terribly wrong, 
And so DEA would normally step in and stop it, except they were handcuffed. And they brought in the former director of what are known as diversion investigations to explain just how the system works. And this guy couldn't have better credentials. He has a degree in pharmacology, and he's an attorney, and he was a DEA boss. Now, I didn't get involved with what are known as diversion investigations when I was assigned to a DEA because generally no aliens are involved in those diversion cases because what you're looking at are are doctors and pharmacies and distributors who might not be doing the right thing with prescription drugs and that sort of thing. But what they did not really talk about, and I write about it in my two pieces, and I hope you'll keep an eye on that website or keep an eye on my website, michaelcutler.net, is that once you hook people on opiates, they become desperate. We saw a bunch of shootings at pharmacies in the past decade or so, or actually the last five years, going back to when they changed the law, where people were breaking into pharmacies to get their their hands on Oxycontin and other similar drugs. And the other alternative that folks addicted to opiates have is to use heroin. And what's remarkable, if you look at the story or the report, they talked about how 200,000 people have died because of heroin overdoses. 200,000. I mean, think about that. Uh, let, let, me, let me read to you the opening paragraph of the 60 Minutes report. In the midst of the worst drug epidemic in American history, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's ability to keep addictive opioids off U.S. streets was derailed. That, according to Joe Ranazasisi, one of the most important whistleblowers ever interviewed by 60 Minutes. Ranazasisi ran the DEA's Office of Diversion Control, the division that regulates and investigates the pharmaceutical industry. Now in a joint investigation by 60 Minutes in the Washington Post, Ranazasisi tells the inside story of how, he says, the opioid crisis was allowed to spread, aided by Congress, lobbyists, in a drug distribution industry that shipped almost unchecked hundreds of millions of pills to rogue pharmacies and pain clinics, providing the rocket fuel for a crisis that over the last two decades has claimed 200,000 lives. And what they left out is how many more people were killed because of the violence of the drug trade. How many more people were killed and injured because of addicts committing armed robberies and other violent crimes to get their hands on the money that they need to buy the drugs, whether it was the opiates that are pharmaceuticals or the heroin or the fentanyl or the people that drive while under the influence or the damage it did to their families. The carnage you're looking at is unfathomable, but they didn't talk about where it leads. And what does it lead to? ready-made customers for the drug cartels. And those drug cartels are coming at us from all over the world. Yes, again, the Mexican border is a big deal, and uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee a couple days ago with everything flying at him at that hearing, managed to talk about it and said, you know, we have got to control that border because the drugs are pouring into the United States and people are dying. That kind of got lost in the shuffle. No one talked about that. No one talked about how drug money funds the gangs and terrorist organizations. It is estimated that in England, for example, 85%, 85% of the heroin 
ingested by addicts in England are smuggled into England by the Taliban from Afghanistan. How many people has that money caused or, or provided the weapons that killed how many more people, if I can get this out in a coherent sentence? So I'm fearful that that 200,000 figure was the tip of the iceberg. And in the last year or two alone, something like a third of all of those 200,000 opioid overdoses occurred. And that's why we have Narcan being provided to public schools in New York City and elsewhere. The border needs to be reinforced to prevent illegal immigration and to prevent drugs being smuggled into the United States. It's very simple. And yet you will find out when you read my article, um, an unbelievable tactic California has resorted to, to stop construction of the wall. I kid you not. I kid you not. They want that border open and they don't care how many tens of thousands of people die. They could care less. They don't care. Same thing in New York. ICE just had a headline how five aliens one from Jamaica, one from India, one from Mexico. I don't remember where the other two are. These are criminal aliens, sexual assault, possession of a weapon, possession of drugs. doesn't matter. Immigration detainers were lodged, and the NYPD didn't notify. The Department of Corrections didn't notify immigration. Turn these people loose. Turn these people loose. It's outrageous. In 19... 86, I'm going to say, I had physically deported an alien. He was ordered deported. Normally that was a job done by our deportation folks, but they were shorthanded, so a bunch of us volunteered to help out. I physically put a piece of garbage on an airplane by the name of Ronaldo Rayside, Panamanian drug dealer, had a green card, lost it because of drug-related violent crimes, and we deported him. And I thought Ed Koch was a good mayor. I really liked Ed Koch. We didn't have the crisis we have now, but Ed Koch continued the Dinkins policy of sanctuary. I put this guy on an airplane. He was deported. Unbeknownst to me and anybody in my office at immigration, this guy came back, which, by the way, is a felony. This isn't a parking ticket. And, in fact, if you're a criminal alien under current law that I helped to convince Al D'Amato to write, I worked with Senator D'Amato for almost a year on it, if you're a criminal who gets deported and comes back, you can face up to 20 years in a federal penitentiary. Not a misdemeanor. This isn't a parking ticket. This isn't spitting on the sidewalk. It's remarkable how now our laws are a menu. We pick and choose. Do I want soup or do I want salad? It's remarkable. It's a betrayal. It's criminal. And someone needs to be held accountable. So Ronaldo Rayside comes back, gets arrested not once but twice by the New York City Police Department. So they knew he was here, and if they ran the fingerprints, they knew he was previously deported, which means he's committed a felony under federal law. And by the way, that law, unlawful reentry, is the most frequently prosecuted federal law violation for the entire federal government, coast to coast and border to border. That's how significant that crime is, okay? Not a minor crime and not rare. So they didn't tell us. The third time, he is encountered by a 24-year-old police officer by the name of Robert Machadi, whose wife is pregnant. He struggles with Officer Machadi for his gun. There is a gunfight on the street corner, and Officer Machadi is killed. He was a part of the Brooklyn South Task Force. 
I had worked closely with Brooklyn South Task Force, made many arrests with them, terrific bunch of cops. The whole NYPD is a great department. Uh, I was proud to work with them, uh, proud of my working relationship that we had. And by the way, another big lie, oh, if immigration works with the cops, informants won't come forward. Nonsense. I used my authority as an immigration agent up at DEA, and when I worked with the cops, to convince members of ethnic immigrant communities to come forward because we could protect them and we could give them permission to work. And today there are laws that provide them with visas. In fact, I've testified at a hearing to Sheila Jackson Lee about that very issue before she went off the rails on immigration herself. This is insanity. What has happened to this country? I testified at the murder trial. It was probably the toughest trial. No, I won't say probably. It was the toughest trial I ever testified at. To see his family sitting in the audience while I was on the stand for the better part of an entire day. And years later, by accident, I meet his daughter because it was snowing. And I rushed into my local supermarket 20 years later, trying to beat the snowstorm. And this attractive young lady opens up her line. And I notice she's wearing a miniature police badge, and I asked her in conversation, you know, just didn't think it amounted to much, oh, who's the cop? And she said it was her father. And I said, what's his name, and where does he work? And she said, oh, he's dead. And she seemed to be not, you know, very, she was kind of detached about it. And I guess I reacted, and she said, look, I never met my father. I wish I knew who he was. And then I realized who she was. She was Officer Robert Machadi's daughter, the girl he never got to meet. Delightful, very pretty young lady. I hope she's doing well. But I have to tell you, this isn't victimless crime. And so New York City and Los Angeles, they know they're endangering the people in those cities. They know that they're endangering their law enforcement officers, and they just don't give a rat's tail because they have an agenda, and the agenda is more important than human life. If that isn't a form of corruption, that is incomprehensible, that I want someone to re-explain to me what the concept of corruption is. I want someone to explain what lack of morality is. I have tremendous respect for the New York City Police Department and the hardworking men and women that work tirelessly in very dangerous conditions to keep, them, keep New Yorkers safe, and they do a good job. But why are we hamstringing our police officers so that they can't use a valuable tool, our immigration laws. Our laws are not about race. It's about public safety and national security and public health. This is the level of lunacy that we're witnessing today. And when you read the article in in 60 Minutes or in the Washington Post, uh, Penn Live, by the way, also re-ran the Washington Post story, I guess because Congressman Marino is from Pennsylvania, Um, It breaks your heart and it infuriates you and it infuriates you because what you see are members of Congress who took an oath, who voted unanimously for the change in law. How did that happen? I'll share my thoughts about that when I'm on with you next to talk about it because I've worked with people in, in Washington on Capitol Hill. So again, my perspectives aren't based on a fantasy or on a hunch, but based on many years in dealing with Washington having been before Congress, having helped to draft some laws, uh, having seen it from virtually every perspective. And if you don't think that the similar kind of nonsense is going on where immigration is concerned, 
check for a flatline EEG because I don't think you're able to fog a mirror. Members of Congress have been coerced into voting for terrible legislation in some cases. Uh, In other cases, they do it willingly. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in Washington. And the fact that our nation's capital was built on landfill could not be more appropriate. As always, I just want you to know how much I appreciate your joining me for my program. I hope I'm thought-provoking. But I hope it causes you to question everything you see and hear. You know, the French um, philosopher Voltaire frequently said that you judge a person's intelligence by their questions, not by their answers. The late President John F. Kennedy said things that, that paralleled Voltaire. As Americans, we've stopped questioning I wrote an article about immigration. I kind of borrowed a piece of uh, President Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. I called my article The Art of the Question. At least that was part of the title. We need to question what we're hearing and what we're being told. We need to challenge our elected representatives and hold them accountable. They're not being held accountable. They are our employees, and they need to be held accountable because when they screw up, We, the people, pay the price, and it's a hell of a price. Anyway, I thank you so much for joining me this evening. And, um, again, I hope I've provoked some thought. I hope you will check out capsweb.org, frontpagemag.com. The Social Contract has one of my articles coming out in the fall 2016 edition. I don't think it will be out this coming week, but you never know. And please go to my website, obviously my favorite website in the whole universe. It's Michael Cutler, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. Have a good week, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. And I look forward again to seeing you next week, same time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. And please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. Good night.